before we look at the text today, I want you to pray with me. Um, we're going to pray for another church that we're in partnership with and a sister church. And then we're going to pray for our hearts to be open and then pray that I would speak clearly and that God would uh, deliver his message for this people through me this morning. Um, pray with me. Father, we want to lift up Sinem Church in Kazakhstan to you this morning. It's my prayer that you are keeping those men leading that church, those elders. You're keeping order. That those men remember to walk in their first ministry, which is to their brides. And that all other ministry flows out of that. And that you're protecting their marriages with great intimacy, enjoyed by one another. We pray for Jake as he oversees that body with them and in tandem with them, that you would protect Jake and Stephanie's marriage, that they would be enjoying one another and ministering to one another first. We pray that your name would be made great, the gospel would move forward in Kazakhstan and beyond because of the faithfulness of a few and that you would use the marriages that put your, the story of your church and your people on display through those men and those families that gather. Uh, we pray that you'd speak clearly today, that you would encourage us and infirm us and convict us through your word, that we would be a people and a fellowship that is in order as we move out from today because of what your word teaches us, that you would humble us, and that you would make our hearts teachable even in this moment. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I want to let you know where we're headed this morning. Uh, next two weeks are going to be a two-part series, if, if uh, two sermons can be a series, on out of order. First of all, this, this morning we're going to look at marriage. The order of marriage, the order of marriage, and what... How ordering your role and ordering your life in regards to marriage, having a high view of marriage, knowing what marriage is. And then next week, we're going to look at church leadership and how to keep church leadership in order and what the order is that God's given us to move this gospel forward, to make disciples of all peoples, and how order matters. And so we're going to look this morning at marriage. We're going to look at Ephesians 5, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians Seven, and then we're going to move on to a couple of more satellite passages as we wrap this morning up. So you be ready. First Corinthians seven is, is coming next, and uh, we're going to look be in Ephesians five first. The order in marriage matters. In Second Peter chapter one, Peter encourages us to add virtue to knowledge. He says, you know the gospel, you have this knowledge of the gospel, be increasing in some things. You need to increase in virtue so that you will have self-control and that your ministry will be effective and fruitful. So we don't just sit and have this knowledge of the gospel. We talk about and we think about and we put into practice virtues that are increasing in us. We talk about how the gospel goes out. We talk about how it should go out, how things ought to be. And that's what Peter's talking about. You should be increasing in things and how they ought to be. 
And so we're going to look at marriage and how things ought to be, how they should be, and how much we need the gospel, how much we need Jesus in making things how they ought to be. So this is a message about adding virtue to our knowledge of the gospel. And order matters. Getting our roles out of order can damage and affect who you are as a husband and a wife. And I'm talking about marriage this morning. A covenant between a man and a woman before God, marriage. This is not all of this love and all of this affection that I talk about is not about loving the one you're with. It's about marriage. God-ordained covenant between a man and a woman. This is not about loving the one you're with. It doesn't apply if you're not married, much of what we're going to talk about today. But how we are married matters. It's not just that we're married. It's just not, it's not that you are married to someone that's important. How you are married, how you walk in your marriage is important. And it has to have an order to it. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, how you're married. We're going to look at Ephesians 5 first, verse 22 through 32. I'm not going to do an exhaustive uh, unpacking of this passage. Ben did that in the Dib series about five years ago. If you'll look online, you can be able to find it. If you'll ask one of the media guys, we can locate that. It's called the Dib series. And right around that time, Ben unpacked Ephesians 5 for two or three Sundays. I encourage each one of you, if you have not listened to that series, to go and listen to the Ephesians 5 uh, unpacking that he does in that Dib series. A little more exhaustive than what we're going to do today, but Ephesians 5 will usher us in to some other things about adding virtue to the knowledge of the gospel this morning. So bear with me. Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 32. Let's read that first. Wives, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself, who he, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and... Let the wife see that she respects her husband. I can't tell you how good it makes me feel to say out loud to you again this statement. Husbands, your first ministry 
Your primary ministry is to your wife. Wives, your first and primary ministry is to your husband. And maybe we walk around assuming that. Maybe you've heard that enough. But I just don't think we can say it enough. And it, the pastor's heart in me just feels so good to say it to you again. Guys, your first, husbands, your first ministry is to your bride. And wives, your first ministry is to your husband. When we meet with guys and we walk in accountability as men in church leadership here at this church, we ask questions in this order. How are you doing as husband, daddy, and then pastor? That's the order. And the same would apply for wives. How are you doing as a wife? How are you doing as a mother? And then any ministry outside the home. So any man married this morning, how are you doing as a husband? How are you doing as a father? And then your vocation or any ministry that you engage in outside of the home. Husband, daddy, then ministry outside the home. Wife first, then mama, then any ministry outside the home. And we see that right here. We have two prominent instructions for ladies here, for the wives, in this passage. And the first is in verse 22. Submit. Work at helping him lead. This submit that it talks about, wives, submit to your own husbands. It's not about cowering down as if, as if you were less important. This is about being a partner that's easy to lead. Work hard at helping him lead you and your family. Submit. It's not easy. It's not easy to do because God did not design that in you to be natural. That you would just generally want to follow a man. So he designed that that way. And then to make it worse, you know us. You know the sounds and smells that come from us. You know our failures. You know our weaknesses. You know where we're deficient. All the more. All the more help we need from our wives to help us lead. To be compassionate and to be in order to help us to come alongside us as we lead and not be someone that's difficult to lead as we move this gospel out. Secondly, is in verse 32 for the ladies. There's just two here that I'm seeing as prominent. Secondly, ladies, in verse 33, I'm sorry. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and then... Let the wife see that she respects her husband. This word respect is a deep admiration. Admire your husband. And I think any guy in here would agree that the admiration of our wives can send us soaring. I think, I think of when Christy and I, we've talked about this a lot, and I'll just be real transparent I think she thinks that because I um, am pastoring and I, get, I have a job where I am in front of people or I can teach students and I get a lot of feedback from my job. I have another job where I get a lot of feedback from the work that I do. And when it's going well, she assumes 
I'm admired enough. <laughs> or, I don't want to feed his big head. Or, he gets enough feedback from people. He's with people a lot. He speaks to people as a pastor a lot. And he just, you know, he gets enough admiration. He doesn't need my admiration. And I'm telling you, the conversations we've had, I don't really care about the other admiration. I, that doesn't get me through. But one little bit of admiration from my bride, I don't care what the rest of the day holds. From my bride. You may like something about me. You may admire me. You may respect me. But it doesn't carry the weight that admiration from my bride carries. A little respect, revering. That word even says, the root of that word, we get some words of fear from that. A healthy respect for me from my bride. Man, you can wreck my truck that day. I, my wife respects me. That's how I feel. That's how it helps me lead when my bride respects me, when she reveres me, when she admires me. And not just that she admires me, but that when she shows it and she actually says something about it and expresses it. Guys, six prominent instructions here for us. Ladies, there's two prominent instructions here, but guys, we've got a lot of work to do. Let's look at the first one in verse 25, love. Love encompasses all of the rest of your movement. Not your job, not your kids, not your hobbies. Love is not something you fall into, men. This is something you do as a husband. You don't fall in it, you do it. Secondly, you give up yourself. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, we die to ourselves. We die to our self-esteem. Ouch. We die to our hobbies, our plans, our vocation, our identity as macho men. All of that comes behind our bride and our love for her. Third, wash her with the word in verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. You must and I must ministry, minister to our wives with the word. Is it on our lips? Do we talk about gospel implications in their life and in our marriage? Are the questions that we ask each other having to do with the truth and the gospel? Are you speaking truth into the lies that your wife has heard all week? Are you prepared to speak the truth into the lies your wife, your bride has heard all week? That's what they need, is truth. Spoken in, washed. Is the word, guys, untangling you? Is there anything that you're preparing yourself to teach? Hebrews would say, the Hebrews preacher, is there, you have anything? Are you growing up or are you still drinking milk? Are you growing up in anything so that you can wash her? Can you pass along and teach her? And can you speak truth into all the lies she's heard all week? Fourth, 
present. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That he might be holy. She might be holy and without blemish. This presenting of our wives is responsibility. There's a responsibility that we carry for her sanctification. Like Christ sanctifies his bride. There's a responsibility and a weight that we present. Have you thought about that responsibility of what you're presenting? Have you thought about that, guys? Have you, do we, are we ambitious in who our wives are becoming and how we're helping them and serving them and leading them to become? Are we thinking about how we, the impact of our responsibility? When was the last time we even considered the responsibility of presenting? Fifth, nourish and cherish. Certainly this means providing what she needs, beginning with the word, and then everything else in regards to provision. But this doesn't mean, this means we don't attempt to impress her or earn her love with long hours, an impressive job, and a lot of money. A lot of clothes and nice cars. We make sure she's being nourished with the word. And that she has what she needs to live. Cherish is loving her for who she is and who she's becoming. Not for what she can do for you. I'll say that one again. Cherishing is loving her for who she is and not for what she can do for you. And loving her for who she's becoming. And then sixth... Hold fast to your wife. You have left one family, and God, via you, holding fast to a wife, has created a new family. Did you know that you were a family before kids? That'll have implications in just a minute. You were a family before kids. Kids don't make a family. God makes a family when he says, the two have become one. New family. You leave one family, you've become a new family in your marriage. New family started at marriage. And you hold fast to her. You hold fast. There, the, the idea here is embrace. It's not a quick side hug of, I'm going to hold fast to you. <laughs> okay, have a good day. It's take her in your arms and you hold on and you don't let go. Ever. They embrace the hold fast to this new family. This is the window into the gospel story that God has given us, this marriage, and these roles that we move in. Husband, then daddy, then ministry outside the home. Wife first, then mama, then ministry outside the home. And it's a gift that God's given us, and it gives us a glimpse. It gives your children and everyone else around you a glimpse into Christ's love and affection for his church, and they're reciprocating that love to him in worship. That's the window that he's given us. It's a gift, and it's beautiful. And this is the window into the gospel. This is your first ministry as a married couple. If you're married, your first ministry, wives is to your husband and husbands to your wives. We can nod and we can agree with that. Many of you have already been through this. You've talked about this. I heard some of this on your lips even. I hear it from you. And we can nod and agree and say, yes, that's true. Yeah, that's true that, that that's our first ministry. But Crosspoint, <clears throat> man, you all are, this fellowship of families 
is about the most ambitious group of families I have ever been around. And I, that's not sunshine and rainbows. I'm not just trying to, to um, encourage you. I, I'm telling you, we have a very ambitious group of families. Ministries are flying out of this fellowship at 90 miles an hour. And we move in excellence in all these ministries. And they're good. And the intention is the gospel. And the intention is good and noble. We move in media ministry, music ministry, unbelievably talented, excellence in writing, missions. We've taken on the far corners of the field and the other side of town and the other side of the county. We've been intentional and ambitious in missions. We have been intentional and ambitious with stewardship. Still over 80% of our church gives sacrificially and consistently. We're an ambitious people here in ministry outside the home. Discipleship. You all are walking together like no people I've ever seen. Pushing each other. Walking in accountability. LTGs are happening all over the place. Life transformation groups. You all are being very intentional and ambitious. Maternity care, ministry to widows, crisis pregnancy, engaging the community, children's ministry, youth ministry, foster care, adoption. The list goes on and on and on and on. You are an ambitious people, and it is encouraging to see. But as I look back over this last 10 years, the first 10 years, and I see all the ambition and all the ministries and all the gospel movement going out. We've learned some things. And here's the caution from one of your pastors. Are we and will we be as ambitious with our first ministry as we will to all the rest of these other ministries? We must have that reminder. We must keep that in order. We must add that virtue to the knowledge of the gospel or else when we lay our hands to things as families, they will not be fruitful and effective because we will lack self-control and we will not be flourishing in our marriages. A healthy fellowship is healthy marriages. Unhealthy marriages will affect the fellowship and the ministry that moves out. It will. Because of God's order and His design, we must guard and protect and reorder our ambitions are your ministry ambitions out of order for you today? Are you enjoying your wife? Are you enjoying your husband? Are you flourishing in marriage? And I would just ask you, have you been ambitious with your first ministry? So many things can hinder us in this first ministry and keep this out of order. Ambitions directed in the order one of the keys to keeping this order and living out Ephesians 5 is intimacy. Another word for that is communion. Deep, lasting affection. We call the Lord's Supper communion because there's affection and affection reciprocated at the supper. It's a gift. He's giving us his body. And are you enjoying a communion companionship in your marriage? And we're given great caution in 1 Corinthians 7. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
I want to give you the context of Corinth here and then I want to read this in light of Ephesians 5, in light of our primary ministry, in light of how men are to move as husbands and ladies are, are to move as wives. <clears throat> the context for this passage and what Paul says here is that there are people who believe in asceticism in Corinth. And what that means is they think, we'll abstain from some things that are really good in this ignorant attempt to feel more holy, to feel more righteous, or to appear to be more righteous and holy. It's almost like these people are saying, look, God's gifts are too good to be true. So if the food is good, don't eat it. And you'll be more focused on God. You'll be more religious. You'll be more committed. You'll be more holy if you'll deny yourselves good pleasure. And there were even people saying, even if you're married, abstain from sex. Even if you're married. Because what that will do is, it's too good to be true. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure that's too good to be true. You must abstain from that in order to stay focused in, in your religion. And Paul is starting off with a verse that sounds really weird but what he's doing is he's trying to tell them and frame something because see Paul wasn't married and he didn't want them coming back and saying but, but Paul you're about to give us all this advice on a sexual relationship and yet you're not married so this is what he says in verse 1 now concerning the matters about which you wrote it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman now, what he means by that, as he'll go on to explain in the rest of the chapter that we won't look at, is it's okay to never get married, and it's okay to be celibate. If you can. And then he says, most of you can't. <laughs> he just is saying, I'm not going to pronounce judgment on somebody who doesn't get married and who remains celibate. It's okay. It's not a sin. If you can do it, and most of you can't. That's what he says. Let's read on. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, and then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I find myself again with a grenade in my hand, and I'm going to try and put the pen back in. <clears throat> First of all, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give her conjugal rights. Likewise, wife to her husband. He, she doesn't have authority over him. He doesn't have authority over her. You know what this sounds like? It sounds like Ephesians 5.33. The two have become one. The two have become one. He doesn't have authority over your body. 
and you don't have authority over his, he don't have authority over your own, you're together. This is companionship under the covenant of marriage. The two have become one, so there are no longer individual desires. There's desires together. Less individuality, more sharing. More companionship, more trust, more plans together. The two have become one. And that's not two individuals duking it out for control, not two individuals pressing each other for benefits. Guys, she is not a sexual object and a sexual partner only. Ladies, your husband is not your financial partner. That's not what his existence is for. His existence and your existence is for companionship, to put the gospel on display. The mystery is profound. It's Christ in the church. And there's a communion that takes place. Now, not two individuals. Guys, this isn't about self-gratification when Paul's writing here. This is about intimacy shared in communion. And guys, this begins, this communion that he's talking about this, this two becoming one, this deep affection and intimacy that he speaks of here begins with you and begins with me loving, washing, presenting, cherishing, nourishing, and holding fast. That's where it begins. Verse 5, don't deprive one another. For whatever reason, except to pray and examine. Now, I'm not going to try and frame for you what a limited time means or suggest the frequency of conjugal rights. And I never thought I'd say that in a sermon. <laughs> I'm not going to frame limited time for you. I'm not going to frame for you and try and suggest the frequency of conjugal rights. But I will say this it should be rare that you abstain from intimacy with one another. Like it should be rare that you abstain from the Lord's table, except to pray and examine your heart and consider repentance. Two weeks ago, Ben led us in this Lord's Supper and encouraged us to consider abstaining through prayer and examination of our hearts. And he also said it should be rare and that you should run back to this table in repentance. And if our marriages are a shadow of Christ in the church, then I believe conjugal rights will be a shadow of communion. It should not be the other way around, that it's rare that you share communion with one another, that you share conjugal rights. It shouldn't be rare and intimacy, and that most of the time you're not enjoying one another. That should be rare, that you don't enjoy one another. Now, the gospel is at stake, and when we have these out of order, when we have our ministries out of order, and we are not seeing each other in marriage as our first ministry, two things happen. And we'll see it next week. It's the same with church leadership. Is that we've taken our eyes off the gospel. And secondly, we've given the enemy a foothold. 
Look at the last verse there, verse 5. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. When you're not enjoying one another, when your ministry to one another is not first, your eyes have been taken off the gospel and you've forgotten, and I've forgotten, that our marriage is the window to Christ in the church. The great story, the good gospel story, that's the window, and we've forgotten that when our ministries to one another take second, third, or fourth place. And the second thing that happens when those ministries are out of order, we've given the enemy a foothold. When we're not enjoying one another, enjoying communion and intimacy with one another, we've given the enemy a foothold. But guys, don't, don't try and use this this week. Come on, honey, the gospel's at stake. You can't say that if you're not loving, presenting, nourishing, cherishing, holding her fast. So don't say that. But the enemy will attack when this is out of order. Know that. The enemy will attack when this is out of order. And it's not if, it's when. It's not, well, the, the enemy probably won't attack us because we got a lot of young kids right now. Or I'm really busy. We're both just too busy. And we can think up a thousand reasons in five minutes of ways we can deprive one another. It's very easy to do. But know this, it's not if, it's when. When we are not enjoying communion with one another, the enemy is sitting right there waiting to tempt both of you. Both. Not just the guys, but both. I'll find somebody that'll nourish me, that'll cherish me more than he does. I'll find somebody that will respect me more than she does. Just one thought, one temptation, one look, one thought. How do you protect that? You keep your eyes on the gospel, your marriage is the gospel, and your ministry to each other first. And you protect communion with one another. And don't deprive one another of intimacy. Now remember, we're talking about marriage. Not loving the one you're with, but marriage. Wives, are you wishing that he would be all these things like Ephesians 5 describes? Have you been tempted to give up? Is your affection and intimacy with your husband just kind of in neutral because he just hadn't been the guy you need? Are you ambitious to protect your marriage from this temptation, ladies? Has he just become your financial partner? This companionship that we're talking about this morning, I'm just going to read Proverbs 2. I want to read this passage to you. Talking about companionship, this word for companion meaning a loyal faithful partner, a loyal, faithful partner. In Proverbs chapter 2, the father says to the son, seek counsel and wisdom and listen to my instruction. Seek it like silver and like a hidden treasure. And if you will do that, if you will seek wisdom, if you will listen to me and pay attention and follow my instructions, seek wise counsel, 
In verse 16, he says, You will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. And so basically what's happening here is the father says to the son, look, you want to find true companionship? You want to find that companionship of your youth and not find a smooth-worded woman? You want to be protected in that and find real companionship? Listen to me. Pay attention to wise counsel. Those of you that aren't married, do you want that? Do you want what we're talking about, true companionship? Listen to wise counsel. Seek wisdom like silver. Pay attention to what older people are telling you now. Pay attention to the marriages around you and the wisdom that comes from them. And if some of you are thinking, well, we've lost that companionship. It's just, I don't know how to get it back. How do you get this companionship back in your marriage? For for many of us, it's going to be seeking wise counsel. You cannot do this alone. You're not supposed to do this alone. You're not supposed to just kind of tough it out. Guys, you need other guys to help you be this man. And ladies, you need other ladies to help you be this, this woman and this bride. So don't give up. Don't shift into neutral. Don't just exist. Seek wise counsel. And some of you may be sitting there thinking, look, Brad, you're speaking in ideals. This is very idealistic what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 7. And this companionship, I'm sure that's nice, but you're speaking very idealistically. What about baggage? What about injury and pain and distrust? You don't know what she's done. You don't know what he's done. You don't know what he said. You don't know what she said to me. It hurt. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how intimacy has been damaged in me. Understandably, all of these things can be true. But giving up, depriving, ignoring one another, and shifting into neutral is not acceptable in the gospel. No matter how difficult it may seem. If we give up, and just shift into neutral in our marriage, and we're not enjoying communion with one another... What we're saying, no matter how difficult that is, no matter what you've been through or what he's done or what she's done or what she said or what you said or whatever's happened, if we shift into neutral and give up, what we're saying is the gospel is not enough to fix us. Christ's work is not enough to restore and renew our companionship. The church cannot help us get through this. Church has never seen damage like we got. The church has never seen the issues that we have. They don't know the pain. And what you're saying when we say that in our hearts, and I know we may never verbalize that, but we're saying is the pillar and the buttress of truth cannot speak into the lies that have damaged our marriage. The pillar and the buttress of truth is not enough. When we say, I don't want to seek wise counsel, it's too hard to talk about, we're too far gone. And you're saying the pillar and buttress of truth does not have the medicine for the lies that exist in our marriage, for the damage and the hurt and the pain. So believe the gospel. 
Believe that the pillar and the buttress of truth, that this is where you find wise counsel. This church is replete, well supplied with wise counsel in regards to relationship and marriage. Now, we, we may be walking in at the same time you are. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm an expert, and maybe nobody else is either, but maybe just a step ahead of you and maybe even walking in the same stuff. Elders, deacons, small group shepherds, there is this body is well supplied with wise counsel. Seek it like silver. Search for it like hidden treasure. And heed it like wisdom and instruction. It's worth it. All right. There's two more things I want to share with you. Two other ways that we end up depriving one another in intimacy and companionship. The first one is we pine for the affections of our children and we want so bad for them to like us. We pine for the affections of our children because we want them to like us. Now remember, this is from the heart of your pastor who's watching you and knows you and, and is also living it, okay? Struggling with it. Knowing that anything is out of order and one of the things that throws my first ministry out of order is when I think my kids need to like me. And I have, I romance the idea of my children reciprocating affection to me. And I'm thinking if, if my kids will feel loved, if my kids will feel affirmed, and if they like me, then they'll obey me. Wrong. Your kids are not going to like you. And secondly, this is for mom and dad too. (laughs) What? (laughs) Secondly, for mom and dad, stop bundling your identity with your ministry and your work. Stop bundling your identity and your self-esteem with ministry and work outside the home. First of all, we must stop romanticizing the affections of our children. We must stop bundling our self-esteem and our self-worth with our ministry and our work outside the home and keep these in order. Proverbs 22, 6. Look at that with me. Proverbs 22, 6. You know this. You probably got it memorized. Stop pining for the affections of your children. 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You are a trainer. You are a coach. You are to train your children. Not pine for their affection. They are not going to like you if you're a trainer. They're not going to always like the coach. They're not going to always like the trainer. That's, that's not going to happen. And listen to Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now listen to verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but... Bring them up or train them, same word, 
bring them up, train them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Mom and Dad, you've been given two tools to train your children with. Discipline and instruction. Not affection and nourishment. You've been given two tools. Discipline and instruction. Discipline is parameters that are set forth by the Word for their protection. You break clear, obvious rules, you get in clear, obvious trouble. Discipline. Instruction. Obey and honor mom and dad. And we can trick parenting up so much that we're going to do organic or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that, or we're going to shepherd the heart of our child, and we're not going to worry about behavior modification. We're going to, we're going to do just kind of shepherd their heart with affection and love, and then let the gospel change them. Not without discipline and instruction, you're not. Because if you're shepherding your child without discipline and instruction, you're saying, well, we're just going to love them like Jesus loves us. We're not going to discipline them. We're not going to give much instruction. We're just going to kind of shepherd their heart very tenderly, and your child is burning the church building down. Because you're shepherding their heart. Without discipline and instruction, you're not training. And mom and dad, you are trainers. Kids are emotionally unstable. No, I, I love my kids, but children are emotionally unstable. Think about this. Their bodies are in constant development and constant flux. They're in a very pronounced stage of learning, easily overwhelmed, and especially little ones, they're not mature. And so when we say as parents, our goal is to shower them with affection in hopes that they would reciprocate affection, you just bought a ticket on a crazy train. You, you will ride the crazy train, and, and your emotions will ride up with them. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm, well, so am I. Yeah, now I'm tired, and I'm hungry. And you're just going to ride the affections of an emotionally unstable little one. You're a trainer. You'll find yourself, if you ride that crazy train, and you don't remind each other that you are trainers... This is where you'll end up in your marriage, weary, distracted, and out of affection for each other if you ride that affection emotion train with your children. If you forget to remember, hey, I'm a trainer. They're not going to always like Sometimes they're going to get upset at me. They're not going to like discipline. And it's okay. Why? Because you're a trainer. Think about this. People pay a lot of money for personal trainers. People pay a lot of money for people to come and train them to get in shape. They pay a lot of money for trainers to come be mean to them and yell at them. Now, every illustration breaks down at some point. I'm not saying you're mean and yell at your kids only. And I'm not saying that training is void of affection. Certainly we nourish them. Certainly we give them protection. Certainly we provide for them. Certainly we show them love and affection. But it doesn't drive... It doesn't drive our training. Discipline and instruction does. I cannot tell you how this has transformed Christy and I's marriage over the last year. That we remind one another that we're trainers. That we have revered our marriage in front of our children. We're teaching our children 
to revere our marriage. And sometimes it just feels like it's set Christy free whenever the kids are up and down emotionally and disrespectful and disobedient and then she feels like a bad mom or man they're upset with me and I look at her and I say you're training and it's almost like oh, oh yeah I'm, I'm training I mean hop off the crazy train a minute I'm not going to ride the emotional train with my children I'm training them right now and it's not always going to go real well with them but I won't sit around pining for the affection of my children to reciprocate I will train them And then I've got affection for her and there's affection for me from her because we parent with discipline and instruction. And remembering that has transformed our marriage. It's given us new tools to focus on one another. It's to remember we're training together. We're both training together and we've got more left over for one another. What our children need from us is a window into the story of Christ loving his church and pursuing his church and his church reciprocating that love. And they get that when they see dad loving mom and mom loving dad. Dad, when you come home, do you search for your bride? Do you pursue her like Jesus pursues the lost? How can it be harmful for guys for us to come home at the end of a long day And for us to say, kids, hang on just a minute. Hang on. Excuse me. Just for, I'm not, just be quiet. (laughs) Just for a second. I need to see my bride. Where is she? It's not harmful to your kids for them to see you search for her and look for her. Just, Just a minute, kiddos. Hi, it's been a good day. Thank you. Now be quiet for just a minute and let me see my woman. Where is my bride? And do this. Don't just give her a hug, kiss her on the forehead. Follow Ephesians 5 and embrace her in front of your kids. Hold her. This will do wonders for your marriage, I'm telling you. If you will just set the kids aside for just a minute and let them see you pursue your bride. And then embrace her. Now, guys, don't say anything. You'll just mess it up. (laughs) Don't don't say anything. Just go embrace her. And, And in our home, we're teaching our children to revere our marriage. And and there's a comfort and security they're finding in it to, to finally see that we're revere they're revering. And respecting and admiring what my, you know what it's teaching our kids? That there's something bigger than you going on here. (laughs) There's something a lot bigger than you. And our kids want to know that. There's something to be trusted in. Mom, do your kids see you respect him and admire him? Not just the absence of dogging him. Not just the absence of dogging him but do they see you proactively admire him like Ephesians 5 says do they see you respect him one of the things that happened this week and we didn't talk about it it just happened but as Christy and I have talked through this and we've begun to say we're going to be intentional about teaching our children to revere marriage to revere our relationship I was talking to my bride in the kitchen and a child interrupted and she said excuse me a minute 
Your father is talking. My husband is talking. Please be quiet. And you know what I felt like in that moment? I felt respected. And you know what my child saw? My child saw my wife respect me. And that just happened because we're thinking in terms of ministry to each other. We're training our children, and we want them to see that there's something bigger than themselves going on. We want them to revere what's happening between mom and dad. The communion, the picture of Christ and his church. And guys, real quickly, we must stop bundling our identity and our self-esteem into our work. This is another area where I see us get this out of order is we bundle our self-esteem up into our work and the next thing you know, we're so consumed with where we are and our self-esteem that we forget that we have a ministry first to our wives. Ecclesiastes 7.14, listen to this. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Things are going good at work, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider that God has made them both, one as well as the other. So, there's going to be good days, there's going to be bad days at work. Your self-esteem is going to be up, it's going to be down. Things are going to go well in ministry, and then sometimes they're not going to go well in ministry. And this is why. So that a man may not find out anything that will be after him. A man will not find out anything that's coming after him. Don't get consumed with your legacy at work or in ministry. Don't get consumed with what you're leaving behind and what you're doing. And wrap up your self-esteem and how you're doing at work and how you're doing because it will inevitably get out of order and get you out of order. And, and wives, you can do the same thing with any ministry you have, a job outside the home. Don't wrap up in that. Don't bundle it. Work and ministry are not ways to, for you to make, make a name for yourself. The way we make a name for ourselves is putting His glory on display in our marriage. Healthy marriage first. Lastly, those of you that aren't married, those of you that aren't married now, this, this is what I would hope for you. That like the Hebrews preacher in Hebrews 13, 4, you would say this, let, us, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. I hope that a sermon like this Reminds us all, whether you're married or not, if you are not married yet, that you would hope for this and seek wise counsel. Hope for true companionship and intimacy and communion and put the gospel on display for all others in marriage. I hope that if you're not married, that you will have still a high view of marriage. A high, a high view of marriage, a healthy regard and sanctity, sanctity for biblical intimacy, that you would have compassion for those that are married and a compassion for those that are married with kids if you're not married. That you would have a high regard, like Hebrews 13 says, and hold marriage high. Not to worship it, but to hold it high, knowing what it is and knowing the work that it is. That you would pray for families. Pray prayers for the families around you that are married. That order will be restored and kept. That dad, that, that husbands will be husbands first and then dads. That wives will be wives first and then moms. And then ministry will flow out from there. 
Husband, daddy, pastor, wife, mommy, and ministry outside the home. The gospel is at stake. And the enemy is ready to take advantage of us whenever we get this out of order. As we take the supper this morning, I want to share. I alluded to it earlier about communion and about deep affection and worship in that moment with the supper. But the same word of two becoming one in 1 Corinthians 1, just back a few chapters. Verse 30. He, speaking of Christ, is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. That in, I-N, in Christ Jesus. If you are trusting Christ today, you are in him. In other words, you are, you are by him. You are with him. You are bound to him. How are you even saved? Well, you're bound to him. You are in Christ Jesus. And there is a, a, an affection that he has for you or you wouldn't be in him. And then we reciprocate that affection when we come to this reminder every week and we worship and say, Jesus, unbelievable that you give us your body and your blood. How intimate is that? You give us your body and your blood. True affection. You have died for us. You've laid down yourself. For the bride. And then in 10, 16, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, we read this the other day, uh, two, two Sundays ago, I believe. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a participa- is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. There's a coming together. A coming together in this moment where you're in Him. And once again, we're reminded to trust Him. And once again, we're reminded of His affection for us, and we reciprocate that affection in worship because of what He has done and because of who He is. And there's a cherishing and a nourishing that takes place in this supper. And my prayer is that we would enjoy that. That we would enjoy that rightly in the supper. And that that would flow into our marriages. And if you are a part of another fellowship, you are welcome to take this meal if you are trusting Christ and in good standing with your other fellowship. If you're hostile or divided with another group, another fellowship of believers, we ask that you abstain from this for the purpose of prayer and examination and repentance. But if you come weary and ready and trusting this morning, we ask that you would eat this meal. Eat his body, drink the juice, the celebratory drink with us. And you are welcome here at this table. Let me pray and then we'll enjoy the supper. Father, you're very, very good to us in this moment in that you provide a way. 
You provide truth. You provide life. And we pray that this reminder this morning would remind us of our ministry towards our wives and remind us uh, ministry towards any spouse, any of our spouses that we have, um, wife or husband, either one. Now I pray that you would, you would be honored by the covenant of marriage in this church between a man and a woman. That you would be honored here by marriages that flourish and that ministry would continue to flow out of this church. And that each week when we take communion, we're reminded of being careful to not let the enemy have a foothold. And that it be rare that we not enjoy communion. We're thankful for your body and your sufficient blood of a new covenant. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. In and by and with and bound to Christ, take a knee. In, with, bound to, Christ, take and drink. Pray with me once again. Father, as we move into a time of, of giving and worship, I pray that we would be <clears throat> generous and sacrificial with what you've provided and that you would restore order even in this moment in our hearts as we order where we're generous and where we're giving and that we would give not in an attempt to earn anything in your eyes but that we would give out of gratitude from the scandal that is your love and it's in Jesus name we pray amen thank you Clint for leading this morning um, I was talking with Clint and Ben beforehand and they said well small group ought to be interesting and um, on that note though let me say that it is, do not take that encouragement to seek out counsel. Don't take that lightly. This body is well-equipped, well-supplied with people who are willing to walk with you in your marriage. As I think about what God might, if he wills it, put in front of us, over the next 10 years, thinking about what he's put in front of us this first 10, as I think about what he'll put in front of us, the greatest preparation, I think, to get us ready for whatever ministry he has for us or to flourish the ministries we're already engaged in will be because we have husband, daddy, pastor, and wife, mama, ministry outside the home in order. And I know that when that's not in order, it will be a struggle. And our hope is that you would flourish in your marriage. Please seek out counsel. Find a deacon. Find, you start with me, start with somebody you know. If you don't know anybody, come to me. And we will point you in the right direction to seek wise counsel and instruction so you can find and enjoy that companionship. Don't keep idling by and neutral in your marriage. Start with your small group leader. If you're not a part of a small group, Man, you are missing out on the accountability and the encouragement and the truth speaking that goes on each week in this body to remind us of the gospel and to remind us of truths of all the lies you're hearing the rest of the week. I encourage you to get into a small group. I'm going to pray and then we'll be dismissed. Thank you for being here this morning. Father, you have um, been so good to us with just the way that you have made a very ambitious people here. 
And I pray that we would continue to be thinking the gospel and how do we move the gospel forward and make disciples of all peoples and how to make your name great. But I pray that we do not run past your ordinance of marriage. That we don't run past your order. Help us, God. By your spirit and through your church, help us find that companionship. Give us hope. Give us encouragement. Give us instruction through your word and through your church. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Y'all are dismissed.